Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. Um, this morning, we had the absolute pleasure of having Mr. Ron Hans on with us this morning and Dr. Ann Gessler. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Ron, what part of the world are you in? Oh, I'm in Washington, D.C., Vernon. Okay. And Dr. Gessler, can I call you Ann? Sure. Yeah, please okay. do. Ann, where are you? I'm in Houston right now. Very hot. Very <laughs> hot. Okay. Houston, Texas. All right. Not, what's nice about Zoom is we can be around the world and talk. And so yes. I, I really appreciate you all taking time out. Uh, in Houston, what is it, uh, 9.30 there in the morning? Yes. Your hour yes. difference. Yes, 9.30. Okay. okay. So when I have people from California, 7.30, and sometimes people don't get up that early, so okay to be on the radio. But I'm glad that you are here, and we're going to talk about co-ops. Ron, what is the name of the organization that you started? Uh, the Network for Developing Conscious Communities. And what's a conscious community? Well, conscious community is, is just defined as, as embracing a culture of consciousness. And where you operate consciously around the broad spectrum of your business concerns, whether it's strategic planning, whether it's... Um, operating system processes, developing the vision that guides the organization. That's what consciousness is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Conscious communities. And um, is that just in the D.C., Baltimore area, or is that nationwide? No, it's nationwide. I think people operate consciously in, in what they do, and they can operate unconsciously in what they do. But we try to focus on the on the conscious evolution of, of thought and practice in, 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 in developing the work that we do and the work that we share with others in terms of how we see ourselves operating in this space of 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 an organization working in community development. So on April sixth uh, through the eighth of this year, what is that about a week from now? Yeah, a week uh, from now, sixth yes. to the eighth, you're having a uh, conference. What's that conference? Uh, the National Conference on Black Cooperative Agenda. Black Cooperative Agenda. And what do, you, what do you mean by building cooperative capacity through conscious practices? Well, conscious practices, uh, as we define it, Vernon, is the conscious practice uh, of creating that which drives the vision of the organization that you're working with. So what we... Uh, uh, attempting to do is drive conscious practices around doing the work that we need to do in terms of building the capacity of the organizations that we are sharing this platform with. Okay, and can you just give us some examples of those organizations and some of the speeches or workshops that you'll be doing? Oh, goodness. Well, we, we, we're doing a host of workshops. We have the USDA um, participating in terms of their grant programs, their socially disadvantaged groups grant, as well as their uh, their cooperative uh, development group grant program. But what, uh, I, th I thought USDA is rural. How is that going to work in D.C. and Baltimore? New well, York? well, because because the 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 consciousness is is not just relegated to urban; it's relegated to to building the platform of of conscious work around doing cooperative work, whether it's rural or urban. Okay. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and, and they do, and, and you don't have to be in physically in a rural community to do work in a rural community. That's what I've learned as well. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, um, so just to say that we, we have, um, 
um, National Association of Latino Asset Builders, NALCAB, is participating. They're, they're doing a session on, on advocacy. Uh, we have, uh, um, uh, a session, um, um, by, uh, Generation, uh, 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 that's doing a, a, a session on political, um, organizing. Uh, we have a session uh, that's dealing with law and, 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 and talking about the, the, the platform of law in, in cooperatives. So, so we, we, um, yeah. And then we have an international forum that we do dealing with around looking at the cooperatives in the diaspora. Okay. Yeah. Um, Ron, when it, this is April the 6th through the 9th. So when, what time does it start on the 6th? Well, it starts at, at uh, well, we we're convening breakfast at eight o'clock, but the first session will start at nine o'clock. I'll open up the conference at nine o'clock from nine to ten. I'll give a little brief brief history of, of, of the of the uh, um, history of why we are doing this conference, what um, what you can expect out of the conference, and uh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So, if I want to register to come to this conference on the sixth, uh, how do I do that? Well, um, you can go to our website at www.ndccnetwork.org, and you can follow the registration there on on site. All right. Let's go back over that. www. In 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 is in Nancy. D is in David. C is in Charlie. Season Charlie Network.org. Okay. So go to ndccnetwork.org and you it, it, you can follow it. It has a registration button there. That's right. There's a, there's a re button for registration. And also to um, information about the conference and the sessions as well. And hosting uh, some of the speakers as well. Okay. So is it free? I get free breakfast. Gonna. <laughs> well, well, well. We 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 do we do have a scholarship link there on the website, Vernon. So so if folks are interested in applying for the scholarship, uh, certainly uh, they can do that there at the, on the website. But the conference does come with a, a cost. It's two twenty five for for registration for three days, and that includes breakfast, uh, lunch. And, um, in a reception that we're hosting on Thursday evening. And, um, then there's an $80 registration fee for students. So, so yeah. Okay. So I'm a 75 year old student. Can I, I can pay for 80 bucks? I mean, yeah. 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 I'm a student yeah. of life, Ron. Yes. Yes. Really. We, we understand that. <laughs> and we make allowances for, for the students of life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 225 registration. It's all day Wednesday, all day Thursday and Friday of this coming week. Um, yeah. the sixth through the eighth. You can go to www.ndccnetwork.org and yeah. uh, follow the signs to register. So tell me some of the names of the people that are going to be there besides Dr. Ann Gisler. Oh, well, we, we have, uh, Dr. Kam Kamara Neal. Who's administrator with the USDA? She'll be, she'll be, uh, uh, actually, Dr. Gessler is our luncheon speaker on opening up, uh, on Wednesday. But, uh, and then we have Dr. Kamara Neal, who will be our keynote speaker, who will be presenting on Thursday at lunch. Uh, we have our, uh, um, Professor Carmen, uh, uh, Nobles, um, who will be presenting from, from, from SUNY, the Community College of New York Law School, uh, Justin Hill, uh, from Georgetown, uh, Law Center. Uh, we have, um, uh, Jerron, um, Thomas, who's a, 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 um, grower and participator in, in the cannabis movement. And so we are going to have several sessions around cannabis co-ops. And so, uh, I'm looking forward to those discussions. Um, we have Omar Fierra, who's doing a, a, a session on, on co-op 101. Um, we have, uh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Um, 
I'm I'm trying to remember all the folks who, who who's going to be there now. So, Ron, <laughs> let me tell let me ask you if you would go to www.ndccnetwork.org, you can find out all of this information of who's oh, yeah. going to be there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We've we've <laughs> we posted photos of all the presenters. Uh, their bios are up there as well. So uh, we're 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 expecting a, a, a real robust, uh, energized conversation and a, a process about building capacity, and that's what we're really focusing this conference on: building capacity of of of, of black led co-ops. Building capacity, black led co-ops. So this this year, though, this is the. We're celebrating Women's History Month, um, and the theme for Women's History Month is providing healing, promoting health. And this is our last week for um, celebrating Women's History Month. Last month, February, was Black History Month. It was also about healing and health, and that seems to be the theme this year, particularly coming out of COVID. So do you have any sense, Ron, if any of the sessions that you're having are going to be dealing with uh, providing healing or, or, or promoting health? Well, certainly all these sessions about promoting healing in, 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 in a space of developing black cooperatives. Um, and uh, we, we, we're really encouraged uh, by, by the, the participation that we receive from all the presenters who are donating their time. Um, and I do want to say that, and, I, and I'm really uh, honored that that folks have have responded to our call to to present at this particular conference, and and so um, health wise, healing wise, um, you know, we 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 are having several sessions around cannabis, and 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 developing cooperative cannabis, and so. Cannabis is is, 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 is is now getting its rightful due in terms of in the health space of, of, of how it as a, as a herb has contributed can contribute to healthy well-being and states of well-being so we're, we're really interested in, in, in promoting um, this uh, conversation around cannabis and 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 we're seeing now a, a big lift in the country around cannabis growers, and in, in terms of uh, how uh, the uh, uh, product or the plant is being used to promote good, healthy uh, lifestyles. Well, I like that uh, cannabis for health, but I really like um, that uh, that's a great way of increasing wealth is by selling cannabis. And, um, our society put young black men mostly, but black folk in jail for distributing cannabis or marijuana now that they've legalized it it has been harder for black folks to get into that business and make that money so i'm glad you're dealing with that yes uh, glad you're dealing with it uh we have a minute to go before um we take our first break so can you give us the, the name of your web page again uh yes uh www n is in nancy d is in david C is in Charlie, C is in Charlie, network.org. www.ndccnetwork.org is where you can find all information for the upcoming conference. And I, I see you have Lakeisha Wolf that's going to be on there. She's with Ujama Collective in Pittsburgh. Yes. And you mentioned uh, Carmen already out of New York. Um, so uh, you've got a very impressive group of people in here so i'm looking forward to it see how when it, how i can get up there to talk about it folks we're going to take our first break and we're going to come back and we're going to spend a little bit more time talking to, to dr ann gessler we'll be right back please don't touch that down your news talk station welcome back everybody this is vernon oaks um we have this morning Mr. Ron Hans and Dr. Ann Gessler are, as our guests. And Ron just talked to us in this first segment about 
the conference, the National Conference of Black Cooperative Agenda, Building Cooperative Capacity Through Conscious Practices, which will be at the Doubletree Hilton in Pikesville, Maryland, April the 6th through the 8th. This is this coming Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and it's a very impressive lineup of speakers and workshops. And we have Dr. Ann Gesslers that's going to be the speaker on Wednesday at the luncheon. It's a $225 registration fee. There are scholarships. If you go on the webpage, uh, you can register and ask for scholarships. And if you're a student, no matter what age, if you're a full-time student, it's $80 for students. Ron, I really appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, always have. And during the break, you were saying that you really appreciate the work that I am doing. And I, and I, I thank you for that. I thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, Vernon, I think that enough can't be said around the work that you do in terms of creating the space for cooperatives to share their stories, cultivate relationships with each other. And all that is centered around your commitment to the work of building out this ecosystem of cooperatives, be they black, white, brown. Um, yeah, you, you, you do just do an extraordinary job in terms of building out this space. So I just want to just acknowledge that uh, here, here this morning. So what I have found in this cooperative space are just really great people trying to help each other and help the society. And that's why when I got knowledge of it by managing housing co-ops here in the District of Columbia and watching how everyday people make very intelligent decisions, sometimes not even with a high school degree, but they get the knowledge that they need to run a business. And that's what you are providing to your learning outcomes, raise awareness, develop the skills, increase the knowledge, plan for this future. And in this future, Ron, what are you looking for for black, brown, indigenous folks, marginalized community? And I'll even put poor white people in that same category because when I grew up in West Virginia, we had black and whites in our community working poor. And it didn't, poverty makes no, no distinction between race. So what are the... What are the plans, the future actions that you hope to come out of this conference? Well, that you can be an individual and, and address your own individual needs and yet buy into a collective agenda and deal with collective needs. And so if we can move that individual platform to a collective platform, then I think that we, we would have accomplished um, the goals that I have envisioned for this organization and this work. Well, we have the same vision. We have the same vision. And I, I took this vision um, nine years ago now. Uh, June will be nine years ago to Chuck Snyder at NCB of getting people to understand what this co-op world is about. And I'm, I'm mainly focused on poor folk and that, that people can create wealth by working together. It's, it's self-help is the first value but self-help working in the group. I like the way you said that. And Dr. Gessler, how did you get into this co-op world? Yes, um, I was in my doctoral program at University of Texas at Austin right after the recession. And I was doing all these interviews, oral history interviews with food trucks and community gardens. And one thing that I kept noticing as a model that kept coming up was this cooperative model as a way to kind of rebuild after um, the recession. And I was really struck with how resilient that model was in helping communities foster some kind of um, economic stability. And so that became the basis of my doctoral research, interviewing Austin and New Orleans cooperatives. And that also led to my book, researching the history of New Orleans cooperatives. But what were you majoring in? I'm an American uh, studies um, graduate. So the, the culture history of, of America. American studies. Yes. In in Austin. So Austin has a rich culture of cooperatives. Oh yes. Okay, so the recession was two thousand seven, two thousand eight. So you're a young person compared to Ron and me, but okay. <laughs> okay. And I'm so delighted that you learned about co ops at a early age. I was I think I was 50, close 50, 55 before I learned about co-ops. And I have two master's degrees and undergrad. I didn't hear about it anywhere in this in my formal education. So 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you got it in doing your research. And it doesn't sound like you got it in the classroom, though. You didn't understand, didn't hear about co-ops in the classroom. No, no, it really took actually talking to people and seeing how people are actually um, coming up with their own solutions to economic uncertainty. Economic uncertainty. So this is the great recession of 2007-2008. So we're in a downturn. So what did you find out with this resilience that you're talking about um, for folks that are in this co-op space in Austin? Right. Well, when I was, you know, I would ride the bus and there would be all these storefronts totally empty. Um, and so people were really hurting. And then I would interview these community gardens who were planting, you know, backyard gardens, teaching um, residents how to grow their own food, try to take the burden off of their, you know, their daily bills, but also teaching them um, self-sufficiency. And so it was really having a great impact at a local level. And what was also interesting is that people started collaborating and forming coalitions and so trying to bring about greater change throughout Austin um, as far as the alternative economy is concerned. So thinking about how to advocate for cooperatives at a, at a broader level. So you're doing your research. You've, you stumble upon this thing called co-ops, as I did in board meetings and managing limited equity housing co-ops. I stumbled upon this and got very, very interested in it. And then in the National Association of Housing Co-ops, I found out I was on the, I was the president of it at the time, nine years ago, and they were saying if we would just build housing co-ops and people would buy them. And I finally, I had taught marketing at Howard. And I'm going, wait a minute, nobody knows about co-ops. This is a best kept secret. And that was said both at the White House and the UN. This is a best kept secret. So how can we tell people about co-ops in there? That's what was the idea that started the radio show. And we're looking for other ways of telling people like your conference, Ron. How do you let people know as many people as possible about this magic that happens when people come together to help self through groups? And, and decisions that were made in these boardrooms were decisions that were what was best for the group, not what's best for Ron or what's best for Ann or Vernon, irrespective of the group, but what's best for the group. And then, again, when the tide rises, everybody got the benefits. So what are some of the, and what are some of the benefits that you found out that co-ops bring? Well, in my, my research about New Orleans, time and time again, what I was finding is that these co-ops offer concrete benefits to their neighborhood, whether that's a new sanitation system or a public market, they're meeting residents' needs in a real way. And they're also equitably redistributing resources across communities, and they're empowering residents to get involved in local governance. And they're also scaling up, thinking about how to work across regions, even internationally, thinking about how to improve lives, not just for their specific community, but also people across the world. What does this equitably distribute, redistribute wealth? What is that? Can you say that in some well, words I understand? What is that? Yeah, sure. So if you're a member of a worker co-op, uh, for example, there was a recording cooperative in the 1960s that was recording people from like Prince Lala and uh, Dr. John. That was a worker co-op. So people have investment in their own decisions and their own money and they're keeping the their their money local they're reinvesting in the community and so they're actually improving their community um, by working there but how do you actually redistribute the wealth how do they do that yeah they're so in the in the 60s for example um these music cooperatives uh were fighting against these big unions that were taking all these musicians money they weren't giving them an, an equal share and so by working in this recording studio you were keeping your money it wasn't being bled out of new orleans and you were building up the new orleans music economy and music industry okay for example so what what i like about redistribution of wealth in a co-op world is that the cooperators make the money and then they get to say what they do with that money. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not some organization outside of New Orleans or outside of that community that gets the wealth, drains the wealth. Okay. So this co-op keeps the wealth in the community and the community members are the ones that get to say what happens to that wealth. That was the first reason I like co-ops. 
I think it's the third principle of cooperation is member economic participation. You put a little bit in normally, and then if you make money, you get something out. And hopefully that's a lot more most often than you put in. We're going to take our second break. Dr. Gessler, I, I would like to come back and ask you for some examples of, well, first I wonder why you went to New Orleans and then some examples of the different types of co-ops that you end up interviewing in New Orleans. We'll be right back. News Talk Station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. You know, we have Dr. Ann Gessler on with us today and Ron Hans. Uh, Ron uh, developed, started the Network for Developing Conscious Communities, and he's having a conference here next week on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It's the National Conference Black Cooperative Agenda. And the theme is building cooperative capacity through conscious practices, that consciousness. Um, so, Dr. Gessler, I said when we come back, I really want to talk to you about if you could give me, let's take one. Well, first off, why did you go to New Orleans? You're in Austin in school. Now, why did you go to New Orleans to study the cooperatives in New Orleans? Yeah, originally I wanted to do this massive comparative project between co-ops in Austin and New Orleans and actually Detroit. And then the project just got so vast that I realized, oh, I'm never going to graduate. So I <laughs> decided to just lop it off and just concentrate on New Orleans. Um, but there's so, I mean, the, the history of cooperatives, as I was telling you before, is is it has they have grown up with New Orleans. So it's it's a great case study. I was very happy to just concentrate on New Orleans. Have you um, read Dr. Jessica Gordon-Nimzard book on collective carriage? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, it's so fascinating. And she was on your show too. Yeah, just like, well, she's been on uh, I, that was the sixth time she's been on and I just learned so much every time. Uh, but she told me the first time she was on that it took her 15 years to research it. And when she started, she was told that blacks don't do co-ops. Okay, that that's a white hippie thing, uh, not not a not a black thing. And uh, she now she tells me that she just keeps learning more and more and more. Just like you said, the the New Orleans experience of cooperation. Um, the National Association of Housing Co-ops, we had our annual meeting in New Orleans, and I knew I tried to find co-ops and tried to, I couldn't find them. I mean, so you're telling me stuff, this this was probably 10 years ago. Uh, so you're telling me stuff about New Orleans, I had no idea. So tell me, uh, give me an example of a co-op that was in New Orleans that you found. Sure. Well, I'm going to give you a little preview of the talk that I'm <laughs> going to give at the conference next week. But there was a really interesting um, medical insurance co-op during the Depression that uh, a hospital administrator named Albert uh, A.W. Dent created called the Flint Goodridge Medical Co-op. And this was really important. It was an insurance co-op. It gave um, poor poor specifically um, black New Orleanians, but also any anyone from Louisiana, any um, rural black Louisiana um, the ability to have up to three weeks of hospital care um, in Flint Goodridge Hospital, which was a black serving hospital. And that was really important because during the Depression, healthcare was segregated. And so it was building trust among black doctors and black nurses um, and the uh, Louisiana black community. So they provided things like x-rays, um, basic insurance, and Albert Dent, uh, A.W. Dent went on to working with regional cooperatives, trying to build the cooperative movement and include African-American voices in the cooperative movement across the South. So he's a really important figure during the Great Depression and World War II. Well, you're saying that black hospitals were segregated in the 20s and 30s, but in Bluefield, West Virginia, where I grew up, it was in the 60s and it was still segregated. I mean, you could go to the white hospital, but most blacks went to the black hospital. Um, it was still that segregation there. Um, 
Okay, that was one medical cooperative, and that fits in with this both the the Black History Month in February and the Women's History Month of providing healing or providing health, uh, hope, promoting health. So, um, what's another one? And was that a worker co-op? Who owned that? Who owned that hospital or insurance? Um, it was not a worker co-op. It was more of. Um uh, they had like an expert uh, managerial class, but people got uh, if they bought into it, they could get a fair share of their of the um, pooling the resources toward that. So that's insurance. more like so. a consumer co-op then. Mm-hmm. That's a mm-hmm. consumer co-op where the people that that uh, use the products and services, the hospital in this case, that care, they own the business. Okay, good news. All right, so that's one. We got a consumer co-op. Give me give me another example of a co-op. Yeah, well, we have the Consumers Cooperative Union, which was in a different area of New Orleans, and that was really fascinating. That was a grocery store and credit union and deli and ice cream parlor <laughs> that was created around World War II and uh, right after World War II, and that was integrated. It had um, local black residents. It had um, Spanish and Latin American residents, as well as German immigrants and Jewish residents. And they were all, even though um, this the neighborhood itself was street by street segregated, um, this was an opportunity to integrate and socialize in a, in a new way. So people could um, get together and they, uh, they could um, invest in the credit union as well as the grocery store and the, and the deli. Um, and that, that was for about 15 years that that existed. About what years are, is this now? Um, about 1941 to the 1960s, mid-1960s. you have any idea why it stopped? Yes, it has a sad story. Um, the, the disinvestment of inner um, inner city neighborhoods in New Orleans driven by white flight just decimated neighborhoods like the Furay neighborhood in, in New Orleans. And so a lot of people moved out eviscerating the, the, um, the membership. And so the, the, the neighborhood cooperative just collapsed. But there have been other attempts, other cooperatives that have um, uh, resurrected that idea in that, city, in that neighborhood. So you have two consumer co-ops. One is a hospital, and the other one is a credit union and a food co-op, and deli and ice cream parlor. Okay, another example in New Orleans. Yeah, well, we had the 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 record studio that was a worker co-op. Um, lots of credit unions. There was a credit union. I want to talk about network. that. I want to talk about that record oh, for a sure. minute. That record uh, company studio. Because that's an artist, uh, and so we're getting. I'm beginning to see more artists forming uh, co-ops, and this is a the 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 artist, the the people that sang or played the guitar, or the piano. They were the members of this co-op that got in it, and it is a studio, so they probably had the mixers and all of the stuff that they needed to record their music. Yes, absolutely. So it was an in-house recording studio. They also licensed their own music so that performers who were writing songs and lyrics and, and the actual music um, would get compensated fairly. Um, and session recorder, session musicians would also get adequately compensated as well. Rather than just getting paid for the one session, they would get royalties based on their uh, repeated performances and, and radio airings of their of their records and the sales of their records. So it's really important. It was a very different model than what um, particularly African-American musicians experienced in New Orleans at the time. And what's the year for this record studio? They were just a little, t- they only lasted one or two years. Um, but Harold Batiste uh, was the person who started that. And he was a very famous musician. He was, he just dedicated his life to advocating for um for civil rights and and the empowerment of black musicians. So he didn't stop advocating. And that's what's really interesting about these co-ops is that even if one ends, um, the members themselves pass on those traditions and those those goals and principles to the next project. 
So that's what uh, Dr. Nimhart had said on one of these things, that it, there is no failure in co-ops because all of this learning takes place. And then people will move on and do other things that help themselves and the community. So, yeah. Okay. So it, it did not exist because it sounds like that would have been phenomenal. And um, I, I, it would be interesting why it did not uh, exist because uh, she also talks about in her book a lot of times how the white established businesses would go in and sabotage these because they didn't want to give up that profit and they did not want the black musicians, in this case, black musicians, to make the money. They're, because if <clears throat> if these section musicians, they got paid for the two-hour studio time, and that's it. Now you're talking about paying them the studio time plus the royalties on whatever this record makes. And I can see these white uh, studios or those those studios that were in the business and they were normally, if not always, white owned, then they want to keep that business. They want to keep that money. And so they would sabotage these companies is what, what she has talked about. Don't know if that's what happened here, but I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. The artist, yeah. the worker co-op. Oh, well, um, I mean, I think Ron can also speak to this, that uh, thinking about white intimidation of, of black cooperatives. I was thinking about the credit union movement uh, in Louisiana that has also a very um, tempestuous history where black uh, credit unions uh, during the segregated in the segregated South sometimes were not allowed into supposedly integrated cooperative meetings, credit union meetings, and they had to stand outside of the, of the building while the meeting was happening. And then some people would come out, some white people would come out and actually it, tell them what happened in their own meeting. Um, and I know, Ron, you were talking about your history of, of uh, civil, civil rights oriented um, credit unions and credit unions as well. But there's a whole history, whole oral history collection of black credit unions that are also really fascinating to talk to, to talk about. Ron, did you want to share that history? Um, well, um, you know, it's just that, you know, what we're seeing is that um, black folks have have struggled with, with trying to align, align their values and their work ethic with white-led organizations. And... This is not a, 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 a testament to all white organizations, but those that have had the power to wield uh, decision-making have, have been really uh, destructive in terms of building out uh, uh, the, the platform for black cooperatives to, to operate and to, to gain uh, uh, impact and engagement. And so um, I'm not su uh, um, surprised and, and taken by by the attitude of of, of, of those uh, credit unions, um, because the same attitude was pervasive throughout um, all of uh, most of all the, the cooperative um, uh, uh, um, ecosystem, um, even even today, even so, today. So this first principle, the the the, the main reasons I like co-ops that I got bit by the bug was the fifth principle, education, training, and information. I saw people getting trained and making great decisions. And like I said, they're everyday people, uh, maybe not even a high school degree. They get that, but they have, they don't, they don't have the formal education, but they have the education to, to make great decisions. And then the second was just volunteer and open membership. Didn't regard the race or gender or religion or politics. But it seemed like even if you have these values or these principles and you stick these companies inside a racist society, America, then that racism falls, falls in there. And that's what, that's what we have seen throughout that history in the U.S. Co-ops are phenomenal. But inside America, whether it's Tulsa, Oklahoma, or recording studio, or credit union, or whatever, they can still get beaten up by this racism got one more before we take our next break well i, I do want to just say that dr nirbaum's uh book um collective carriage went went through a a period 
of, of, of analyzing black cooperatives up until the 60s. And then, then uh, in, in the late 60s, up until the, the 80s, there was another group that also uh, espoused uh, uh, the, the, the work around building out black cooperatives, which was the Poor People's Development Foundation. So let me, let me stop you there, and we'll come back and talk about that after our next break. We have our final break, and I want to come back, uh, give a shout-out about the conference, talk about the 60s to the 80s and 80s to now, and, and get more examples, Dr. Gessler, of, of New Orleans cooperative development. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. News Talk Station. Thank you, everybody. Welcome back. This is Everything Cooperative, and we have Mr. Ron Hans and Dr. Ann Gessler as our guests. Um, this program has been on the air now eight and a half years. NCB has been our supporter both financially and spiritually, if you will. They've been our main uh, cheerleader and given us a lot of information about this cooperative space and what's going on in this cooperative space. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. So I cannot give a bigger shout-out uh, for NCB and the late great Chuck Snyder for um, sort of working with us and helping us get this program up and started. And Ron, when we first got started, we used to have to beg people to be on. Now it's people call us and say, you know, you had Ron Hanson on, why didn't you have me on? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it has changed and um, I'm also amazed that people can go to our webpage, www.com everything.coop so just go to everything.coop and you can put in where it says episodes put in Ron Hans and he's been on the show three or four times and you can listen to all of those shows and you can go to Spotify or uh, YouTube um, put in Ron Hans name or everything co-op Ron Hans and you can get these shows on YouTube also uh, so we have a great team of four of us Pat Thornton produces the show uh, Justin Franks is, is the person that does our webpage and put everything up there. And um, Rob um, McClinton is the guy that does our marketing. And uh, and he's been doing it pro bono just because marketing this and getting this word out. He's just a phenomenal guy, and he helps marketing for co-ops. Uh, his company's called Small World. So it's just a great, great human being. So we have a nice little group, and we just added a couple of people to help us with our social media. We're trying to get that up. A lady, Ron, from Kenya. Uh, Melanie is doing our social media, and Samuel's helping with that. So we got a group of people that's out of the love of this business and helping folks to get the benefits of cooperation and that redistribution of uh, wealth that Dr. Gessler talked about earlier, how to get everyday people, poor people to get wealth um, so they can have health. Yeah, that's, that's it. You were talking about the Poor People's Foundation before we took a break, Ron? Yeah, um, the Poor People's Development Foundation was founded out of the 1968 movement um, um, that Dr. King started in terms of uh, uh, bringing poor people to the District of Columbia to, to advocate on their behalf against the war in Vietnam and the redistribution of wealth. And so this group, um, which was headed by Bernard Ruskin and, and a few others, uh, took the, the, took the, the word of, uh, and work of cooperatives nationwide, particularly along the Eastern Seaboard. And so, um, you know, they, they, they worked for 10 years, um, organizing workshops and bringing, uh, products from the, and produce from the south up into northern eastern coast markets, uh, for sale. And, uh, most importantly, they, they, they were the group that, that 
that organized other uh, uh, participants to engage in the, the formation of the National Consumer Cooperative Bank, which later would become the NCB National uh, Cooperative Bank. Right. And so um, this group was very instrumental um, um, in, in, in doing just what you said, Vernon, working with black, brown, indigenous groups, poor whites, to educate them about the, the, the benefits of, 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 of uh, forming cooperatives. So I just want to just to, to echo out that the name of this conference that we, we've adopted, the National Conference of Cooperative Agenda, is not a, 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 a um, uh, generation of my thought. It's a continuation of the conference to which they had last held in 1980. So I just wanted to let the folks know that. So I've been trying to get Reverend Barber, who's taken up the Poor People's Campaign, he and mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Thea, Thea, Reverend Dr. Theo Harris, um, to be on the show because his conversation, which I love hearing him talk and preach, is on how you can solve the political, the poverty problem is with a political um, motive and method. And I've been trying to get him to do what Bernard Rustin and Martin Luther King did, and that's not only a political answer, but an economic answer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, and to me, that economic answer is cooperative. I don't see it happening in a capitalistic model. Uh, Dr. Ann Gessler, can you tell us another example of co-ops in Louisiana or New Orleans? Sure. I mean, just to echo what you both were saying, um, New Orleans was also very invested in cooperatives and anti-poverty movements and and blending those two together. So there's the Free Southern um, Theater, which was um, a black theater collective, but they worked to incubate um, local New Orleanian talent. Um, They had a community theater. They had it was cooperatively run. But they were also really invested in working with rural um, black communities across the state. So they worked with um, Father Albert McKnight. They worked with the Free Southern, excuse me, the the Federation of Southern Cooperatives and other uh, Southern focused cooperatives to um, develop consumer cooperatives, all sorts of, you know, um, producer cooperatives, um, all kinds of uh, credit unions to build a political channel and an economic channel for redeveloping uh, Louisiana. And, and they, they also shipped, just as Ron was saying, they shipped their, their produce up north to northern markets, too. So they were p- exactly part of that movement. Well, the Federation of Southern Co-op, who started in 1967 with mainly black farmers, but they have credit unions, they have a lot of different co-ops, um, quilting co-ops, all kinds of different co-ops that's members of the Federation. So I've gotten to know them, and I've gone to four of their annual meetings and uh, look forward to being there again this coming year. But um, it's amazing. In Louisiana, there are 13 southern states that they, they represent, and Louisiana is one of those 13 states. But I still don't hear all of this history that you're talking about in those meetings or in Dr. Uh, Jessica Gordon Emhart's book. There's just so much history about blacks and co-ops. And it's been hidden history. Ron, it's just like uh, Dr. Nimhart said, she couldn't find anything. This hidden history and this hidden history about the foundation that you were talking about, the Poor People's Development Foundation. This is the first time I've heard about it through you. Okay, I had not even heard, but I'd like to get more information about that. So to get to Reverend Barber and uh, and Reverend Harris, Theo Harris, to to say this is the history of the Poor People's Campaign, I'd like to see if you can put that into today. And what I really want, Ron, and this is you can help with what you're doing is they will have people in the in their meetings. They'll have poor people or people that are struggling. Home health care workers, taxi drivers, uh, teachers, um, porters, all these different people, they'll get up and talk. And I'm going, let's direct these people to different uh, organizations, corporate development centers around the world, around the U.S. at least, and to help them to start their own business. 
not say, or $15 an hour is great, but you can see what happens to that with inflation. But let's get them to start their own business and they can make 21 bucks an hour, not, not spur on inflation, 25 bucks an hour. The, the, literally the sky is the limit based on what they can produce in terms of profit. So yeah, I, I don't start me preaching. All right. <laughs> Free Southern Theater sounds awesome. I love New Orleans. My late wife was from New Orleans, and their food, their culture, their singing, their dancing, they they love life in New Orleans. And if you can take that love of life, second line, uh, just dancing in the streets, take that love of life and put it into co-op world to be able to make money off of it and where that money does not go outside of the community, but it stays in the community. We only have two more minutes left. I love this conversation, you guys. I want to see... If I can get up there Wednesday to hear your your talk, Doctor um, Gessler, Ron, give him your your email address again. Yeah, thank you, Ron. Um, well, you can find out more about the conference uh, by visiting our website at www. N is in Nancy, D is in David, C is in Charlie, C is in Charlie Network dot org. Network dot org and. Um, Go and uh, preview um, the agenda, the schedule, and then we'd love to have you uh, uh, come and, and join in, in what we know will be a meaningful, uh, intentional discussion on, on those three days. I, I know I can't make it all because I have my show next Thursday, but um, I will see what I can do to come up and hear as much as I can, participate as much as I can. Um, any last Words or comments? Anybody? Ron, you want to leave and send anything? Well, you want? well, I just think that it, 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 the time is pivotal and the time is critical now to 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 elevate the consciousness in 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 in, in the black community development ecosystem, and particularly around the building of black cooperatives. Um, so we're looking forward to uh, uh, having robust energized conversations um, and, and moving forward because it is an agenda to move this uh, movement forward beyond just the conference. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much, Dr. Gessler, Ron Hans. Uh, thank everybody out there for listening today. We'll be back next Thursday. Please live cooperatively. Thanks. Your news talk station.